welcome to the FreightVine podcast, your source for all things freight transportation. I'm Chris Kaplis, Chief Scientist here at Channelytics, and today I'm lucky to be joined by Chris Pickett, who's the Chief Strategy Officer at Coyote Logistics. Now, Chris is responsible for all the activities related to economic and truckload market forecasting and corresponding pricing strategy for Coyote. Before joining Coyote in 2006, Chris served in various strategy development and consulting roles at Adjoined Consulting, which is now kept Gemini, Agile Software Company, which is now Oracle, Electron Economy, which is now Velocity, and Anderson Consulting, which is now Accenture. So he has a lot of wide experience there. He also earned a BS in Industrial and Systems Engineering from Virginia Tech, his Master of Engineering degree from MIT, and an MBA from Georgia Tech. I've known Chris for a about 17 years when he was uh, finishing up at MIT, and I've always enjoyed talking with him. Following that conversation, I'll be joined by Dr. Inam Ayub to discuss the truckload market update. So let's get started. Welcome to the Freight Bind Podcast, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Chris, you have a pretty unique view of the market at Coyote, and the truckload market's been pretty volatile since early March when the different states started their shelter-in-place restrictions. What have you seen overall in the market? How, how have you been tracking it? It's uh, been a bit of a roller coaster. So, as you know, the first shelter-in-place order started going in, you know, whether that was yeah, California yeah, at the beginning of March, uh, the early impact was you know, kind of a, a net inflationary force where you saw the surge of pantry stocking. Panic buying to some degree, you know, folks across the states, across the country, you know, really loading up uh, in anticipation of an uncertain period by which they'd have to restrict travel and contact uh, and and social contact right all together. So you saw the, the big surges from everything from grocery retail to the food and beverage folks to some segments of, of CPG, and at the same time, uh, you saw a bit of a deceleration across the the non essential segments of the economy. And for a period of time, at a two week period. The impact of the the shelter in place surge outweighed the the downdraft of everything else, right? And after about two weeks, maybe two and a half weeks, call it three, uh, those forces uh, started to reverse a bit, where the the surge was somewhat abated, uh, and then the the downdraft of whether it's automotive, right, construction, hospitality industry, energy all you know, together, uh, and other segments of kind of the non essential part of the economy took over to some degree, and we've seen a bit of of softening in terms of overall uh, truckload volumes, you know, really ever since. And if you look at the direction of where the economy is likely to go uh, by all measures, you know, whether it's uh, GDP consumption, but specifically industrial production, you would expect you know, some version of that downdraft uh, to continue. Right. I was talking to someone running who mainly runs load boards, and they said they saw the sharpest increase in a short period of time of spot rates and then the sharpest decrease, almost back to back. It was that sudden. You kind of had these dueling shocks. You know, where you kind of whole thing started as kind of a China-based supply shock, and that drove some some challenges on the kind of the, the procurement side of things. Uh, and then that quickly morphed into a global demand shock. And you saw this huge kind of period of, of volatility where for the, you know, for, for the essential folks that were enjoying to some degree, right, the surge, you know, the surge was unplanned, right? So, so more volume, you know, more revenue is generally a good thing, uh, but a lot of that was unplanned. Are there lanes that they were aware of that had contracted out that suddenly... Uh, have a lot more volume moving over them, or oftentimes new lanes, right? That weren't planned uh, because consumption patterns were shifting. You know, from kind of that you know, on-premise, you know, eating out at restaurants to an off-premise, consuming everything right. at home. And so, while the overall volume levels you know were higher, there's also tons of, of volatility and change 
underneath that, which resulted in a lot of spot market activity. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And then talking to a bunch of different carriers, it's the change on the different lanes. You know, the misbalance of the network has caused a big challenge for them because they can't run it as dedicated as, as they typically do. What's that like for the broker side, for your, your side of the house? Does that matter as much or are you more are better able to handle that volatility? Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely matters. In a lot of ways, that's what non-asset-based freight brokerage was built for, right? Handling that volatility. The analogy I've been using lately, because everyone's kind of locked in, we're doing you know a lot more jigsaw puzzles. It's like, you've got the thousand piece jigsaw puzzle and you work for two days and you've got the outline in, you're starting to fill in the interior. Uh, you're feeling pretty good about knocking the thing out. You walk out of the room and your three-year-old wanders in and knocks the whole puzzle off the table. And you got to pick up the pieces <laughs> and start over. And that plays true both on the, the shipper side, where everyone's transportation plans are completely up in the air, as well as on, on the carrier side, where how do you position your assets? How do you run your network right. as everything's changing literally you know, in real time? So I think most large-scale brokers, you know, for the most part, this is exactly the environment that and a lot of us we were built for. You know, we we're basically volatility hogs, uncertainty hogs. You know, we, we should be wrapping our arms mm-hmm. around all this change and try to create you know, as much you know consistency you know for the the carriers as well as the shippers that we service you know throughout. So it's nothing that is new necessarily. I think the the magnitude of this particular disruption and the the duration one that it's much longer than than anyone anticipated, and two that it's still right. very uncertain from here, and all of it wrapped around this. Uh, this healthcare crisis that just creates an awful lot of stress, you know, and pressure, you know, for everyone involved. Right. And, but your analogy of the three-year-old, that sounds like that came from actual experience. Oh yeah. That happened last week. <laughs> and, and the three-year-old's coming back, right? So over the next right couple of weeks, you know, whether it's a couple of weeks, couple of months, we're in a position to restart, right? The economy, things start to pick back up. Eventually some of those consumption patterns migrate in a different direction. You know, by that point, right? Networks will have stabilized a little bit and then you know, here comes that three-year-old again, and, and we're going to be starting all over here in, in another couple of months. Yeah, it seems like there's a, a lot of uh, changes going on. How have you seen the behavior of the carriers change that uh, are working for you? Have you seen any change in the, how they are, are working and their strategies? No, I mean, I think that the carriers, the drivers, I mean, folks in the front line, you know, absolutely heroic in terms of, of, of what they have done to keep the country running. And uh, I think the fact that it seems that they're getting more appreciation, at least overt appreciation, right. I think is, is a fantastic thing. And, and hopefully that's not lost as we work through this crisis. And, and some of that mindset continues, uh, you know, once COVID-19 is as well in, in the rearview mirror. I think everyone's doing the best that they can. And, and I think that everyone is to some degree taking some pride in the opportunity to play, you know, some small part in, in, in helping, right, the United States, you know, weather the storm. Uh, so I think right. there's certainly been a level of, flexibility, you know, comfort to some degree with, with the ambiguity and the uncertainty, you know, as long as, as they feel that we're doing everything we can to, you know, make things as easy as possible in terms of you're know, really trying to intervene and, uh, you know, get involved with detention times, you know, start to ratchet up, uh, you know, trying to be transparent, trying to be, you know, empathetic, trying to be flexible ourselves to, to try to get everyone in position to, uh, to do the best job they can. Yeah. You bring up detention times and, and, Talking with other shippers earlier this week and last, there's been a lot of more uh, more protocols and uh, procedures being put in place. One to keep you know the driver and other people safe, but also to change the process so you minimize the interaction. A lot of companies have talked about things they can do to keep the driver in the cab yeah. instead of just walking around. Uh, some are saying they're starting to take temperature now. 
Have you seen more of these things happening in your with your customers? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yet to some degree, it's to be expected. And we haven't seen, a, a so far at least, a ton of pushback as to questioning you know, why these things are happening to some degree. It's to keep the driver safe. And a lot of degree, it's to keep the facility safe. I think kind of the right. next wave of potential risk is you know, at the production facility, at the DC, at the warehouse, you know, someone getting sick, virus replicating there, and then having to shut down you know, the node for some period of time. And so I think the protocols are reasonable. And, and I think to the extent they are become you know, unreasonable, right? that's the time to kind of push back and then figure out you know, what's the right way to, to do it. And I think that there's been you know, plenty of, of openness and flexibility and you know, the spirit of collaboration on both sides, you know, whether it's the facility staff, the, the actual shipper, the driver, or kind of the dispatch group, you know, trying to figure out you know, what, what's the most effective way to, to get through some of this stuff. Right. And a lot of folks are having to figure it out kind of on the fly. I think the uh, directives from the federal government and even some of the, the state governments are unclear at best, you know, conflicting you know, at worst. Uh, so there's been a lot of right. noise as everyone looks to really kind of figure out what's the right way to keep things moving, keep people safe, and try to keep the, the supply chains running. Yeah, no, it's interesting. We'll talk about the different states in, in a second, but I'm actually surprised. Um, maybe they aren't getting publicized, but I've heard there are fewer closures of plants in DCs that I've heard of than I thought there would be. I've heard of maybe half a dozen to a dozen. Have you seen more? Is it more common than than I'm letting on? No, no, it's not. I, mean, I think that's that's the next risk of you know, the, the you know, one of the silver linings is that you know, generally. The, the shelves are generally stocked, not with everything you want when you when you want it, but the, the trucks are showing up, right? The, the food for the most part is is making its way out to to the points of consumption, and that part yeah. seems to be you know working. As we kind of work further into into the crisis response and looking for the next you know source of uh, again potential disruption, I'd say we got to you know, make sure this continues to uh, to be the rule versus the exception. Yeah, but um, different states will be opening up at different mm-hmm. times. I just read that New York will stay till 15 May now is the is the new date. Texas and Florida, some of the southern states, are a little looser on that. How are you going to handle that? How how do you do you envision that affecting the transportation networks as states open up at different times at different levels? I think the network will adjust. I mean, I think there's also different interpretations of of what to some degree essential is versus non-essential. I mean, there's certainly guidelines that are out there, but I think there's you know, there's some latitude. Uh, so as as we start to hit these dates, where hopefully you know parts of the the economies that can open up, you know, we, we do that. I mean, I, I think the, the trucking network, the transportation infrastructure, I don't see that being a, a, a huge issue. And so as we do, hopefully, will come over and get out of this. Uh, you've given a lot of thought at Coyote with some of the modeling you've done with the Coyote curve, looking at the different trends in the market, uh, peaks and valleys in the generic truckload market, but also some work on the recession. Have you updated that? Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts now as we come out of the pandemic? First, when do you think that's going to happen? And do you think we've triggered a recession? And what do you think that's going to look like? Yeah, I mean, so it, we put out a pretty comprehensive framework around kind of what drives market cycles and what makes spot rates go up and down you know, we you know, kind of dubbed the, the coyote curve and actually just this week we put out uh, revised guidance for 2020 and beyond so you know prior to the pandemic you know looking at the, the direction of the market trying to get a sense of what ultimately supply and demand had in store for us we're predicting you know, a basic condition of, of supply scarcity which would ultimately drive uh, spot rates higher on a year-year basis and usually when you drive spot retire eventually more capacity comes into the market more capacity relative right. to volume than is necessary. That puts a, 
a peak in place, an inflationary kind of inflection point, then turns the market lower. And so I think even coming into 2020 pre-COVID-19, you know, there was enough recession risk out there just based on you know, the shape of what industrial production was doing and some of the other you know, macro indicators you know, that you know, compelled us to put out a recession version of, of the 2020 curve, you know, where even if demand did start to deteriorate, it wouldn't be till kind of towards the back half of the year. Uh, but I think what's different mm-hmm. this time is one, just the, the ferocity of the downturn. You know, so are we heading to a, to a recession? By all measures, it looks like we certainly are. It looks like you know we're going to start to see it in a big way coming through in the Q2 numbers, you know the March numbers that came out, you know with regard to your know, retail sales, you know, industrial production, uh, look pretty lousy. You know not to mention right the employment numbers. I suspect it's going to get at least a little bit worse, if not an awful lot worse, in Q2. And you know hopefully the economies, some portions of the economy will be in a position to to start reopening uh, by the end of the quarter. And you know we put a floor under you know how low things go, and we get to work with with the recovery. Leading to more kind of a, a U-shaped kind of recovery that would you know, put us back into inflationary conditions by 2021. So the, the ferocity of the downturn are certainly different. You know, we basically look at you know this upcoming leg of the cycle relative to what happened during the last recession, right? So we've got data that goes back right. to you know 2007 in terms of what spot rates did, right? So if we're looking for a pattern, then hey, it makes sense to go back to the last time this happened. So you're looking at the the 2007 to 2009 recession. You know, where spot rates actually stayed inflationary, and you kind of look back at that period and say, well, how could that possibly happen where you have such a profound downturn in volume demand, right, which is being led down by uh, industrial production, which is led by consumption, but yet spot rates are higher to year-over-year basis. And what is also different this time is what's happening with diesel. Back in 2007, right. you know, oil shot through the roof starting in the middle of 2007, and you know, as the economy or as the recession was starting to take form, you had your runaway fuel creating a lot of pressure on the operating income line for most motor carriers that effectively was pushing capacity out of the market. So you had this period where you know, volume certainly was tanking, but capacity was exiting even faster. And mm. that allowed spot rates to stay higher on a year-over-year basis through almost the entire duration of the recession. You know, the spot rates didn't go negative until you know, the, the middle of 2009, you know, just about the end of, in terms of at least how the... Uh, uh, National Bureau of Economic Research defines it, you know, that, that financial crisis. This time around, we're in a much different position, you know, where fuel's been moderately deflationary for most of the past five quarters, and it's about to get much right. more deflationary, right? So you've got this fuel market that's in a, this state of collapse. You effectively don't have the same inflationary supply force that's there to push back on right, the, the falling demand. And so the way that allows it to do is it doesn't drive enough capacity flight Right? So it's not going to create that the same imbalance that we had last time, where as volume starts to come down, you're going to see, I think, rates instead of surging higher to be kind of range bound and right. choppy for the next few quarters. You know, While there's no catalyst that I can tell that's going to make rates spike higher, it also feels like we're pretty close to the point of unprofitable operation for most motor carriers based on where most of the expense lines have been trending. So it seems unreasonable to expect that there's room for another significant downdraft in spot rates. So I think there'll be this kind of war of attrition going on from this couple of quarters where you know, volume for sure will be deteriorating and you're going to hit that point of unprofitable operation where you know, unfortunately many motor carriers will have no choice but to idle operations uh, or exit the market altogether. That puts a floor under rates and you end up kind of range bound until either you know, one of you know, probably a combination of three things could change that. You know, one, uh, the 2020 economy isn't as bad as everyone thinks it's going to be. 
Uh, two, you, know, you get a kind of an accelerated flight of capacity for whatever reason, maybe driven by a sudden reversal in uh, the oil markets. So if you know, diesel suddenly bottoms out and spikes higher for some reason, right. that would do it. Or possibly you get you know, an unusually active you know, hurricane season, which very well could happen. Uh, in Q3, right, right. you get another you know, Harvey-style you know, storm around the Gulf Coast that could temporarily you know, create enough dislocation to, to spike rates higher. Barring some combination of those three things, you know, what will probably happen is you know, we idle around at this plus or minus 5% range until you see the economy bottom you know, make a turn and spot rates end up riding uh, that wave of recovery into 2021. So what this effect would look like on a chart is everything that was supposed to happen in 2020 where spot rates spike higher, that puts pressure on contract routing guides, uh, con- you know, primary tender acceptance you know, takes a dive, and you see this reinforcing feedback loop that pushes freight more freight in the spot market than most shippers budgeted for. I think all that happens, it just happens a year later. So so you think the net effect is, is just a push? I think it's a push. I, I think kind of, yeah, the upside, if you're on the procurement side, um, is that, yeah, that that routing guide pressure probably won't be there in the same way. I still right. ultimately think there'll be plenty of repricing where contract rates have to be reset, not because carriers aren't taking their primary, because the lane's changed, right? So if you've got to go back on a market and, and resource because you're, again, your three-year-old knocked the puzzle off the table, right? You're going to think about the market and, and reset that pricing. And when you're repricing into a spot market that's somewhat at parity with contract, then at least from a price exposure standpoint, that should be a relatively forgiving exercise. That That's interesting. I, I agree with you that I don't, I don't see uh, big rate increases coming through the end of 2020, but um, different segments will probably recover differently at different paces. Like I'm thinking construction, I'm guessing that's going to come back pretty quickly once they get the okay, you know, to let that go forward because a lot of projects are midstream. Same thing with uh, restaurants. I can see some segments increasing pretty rapidly and others kind of mellowing out. Do you have any sense of which industries you see as maybe being a V-shaped recession and some that are more, I don't know, a U or an L? It's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds, right? So you've got one theory would say, well, as soon as you know, we get the all clear and uh, we've got enough test kits out there that we can kind of screen folks and there's you know, more good news on the treatment, you know, maybe the vaccine front, then let's open the thing back up. It's just hard to tell when demand is going to respond, right? So just because restaurants are open again, or we're able to build again, is there going to be enough kind of consumption demand pull through to instigate that? And that, that's kind of the wild card. It's, it's, a, it's a really good question. But the, the thing I'm thinking as well is you're going to see income now going to that group. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So it's, you get the cycle where, okay, more people back to work, they're earning right. income, and that should create that feedback loop that you know, kind of reinforces things. You know, I think certainly you know, construction seems like a reasonable one. When folks are you know coming out of their house, whether it's your know, new construction or, or home remodeling, right. your home improvements, the commercial side is going to be a little bit different, I, I think, right? So you yeah, go through I, this you know phase of remote working, and hey, maybe you don't need as much real estate as you thought you did. You know, you kind of we've proven the remote concept. That's a really good point. Yeah, the other thing is not just um, remote working from home, but like there are a lot of businesses where they have back office operations in very expensive real estate locations that you could push them out. To the suburbs now, you don't maybe not in their homes, but in much lower cost areas. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's another one of those you know, silver linings, you know, from all of this yeah. is you know is it kind of you know driving right the next step forward of you know certainly uh, telepresence, you know, remote collaboration, but also you know new ways of working that you know more folks will be you know open to uh, to different ideas. 
What about the uh, China is starting to open up more and more things are being shipped. Have you seen any effect of that for imports? Have you seen increases in volumes or any changes? Not yet. I mean, four weeks ago, I thought that was a, a huge part of this. And one of the big risks was, you know, assuming right the containment measures in the, in the U.S. are relatively brief and you know non-invasive, we get things back online. You know, then suddenly, you know, China's back online and we've got a, a flotilla of you know container ships you know, heading to the west coast of the U.S. Then in the meanwhile, has gotten stacked up with uh, you know, imports that are sitting idle or kind of empty containers stacked up. And I think what instead of what's happened, you've had that you know, global demand shock that's to some degree snuffed that out. So as all those orders that would have yeah. been on the way get canceled because you know, so much right. of the economy is in survival mode at this point. I don't think that glut's coming. And just from some of the conversations I've had, it doesn't seem like uh, the ports are too worried about it at this point. I think enough of that pressure has been relieved. And I think you know, many ports are taking measures to, to, to clear the empties and to kind of you know, right. clear those uh, you know, idle imports that you know, they're not as much as worried about uh, the disruption or kind of the clogging based on kind of how low some of those Q2, Q3 forecasts have gotten in terms of the net number of containers they expect to process. What about, uh, have you given any thought as you know, strategy officer, uh, if the recovery is more like a W? That there's a resurgence later on. Have you has that played into any of your uh, forward scenarios? Yeah, I mean, there's a dozen different ways this could go, and yeah, you kind of have to just kind of watch the data develop and yeah, and try to position yourself the best way that you can. You know, certainly the the idea of opening too quickly and creating a new wave of infections, and now we've got to you know close again. You know, could that happen? Absolutely. In terms of what do you do about it, I don't know. Outside of just stay flexible, right? Right. Yeah, do the best you can to. You'll be prepared. All right. Chris, any last comments that you want to uh, express? Anything you want to say, what you've seen in the market or what uh, you want to get out, what Coyote is up to? Yeah, I think a couple of things. I mean, as, as you look across, you have so much bad news that's you hit in the newswire a little on, a, on an hourly basis. I think if you look across mm-hmm. you know, what's happening, especially across the supply chain, you've got these ray of light and these rays of light you know, everywhere where you're just observing the level of collaboration you were seeing between DCs, carriers, 3PLs, yeah, yeah, shippers governments to keep things going is has been super heartening uh seeing the i think just the the sheer ingenuity and flexibility of uh u.s production base you know engineers quickly designing new products you know production lines being retooled on the fly to to manufacture you know ventilators instead of cars face shields uh hand sanitizer instead of alcohol has been amazing um Seeing how well you know many segments have adapted to this you know work from home you know model, and just observing just a lot of the creativity and the empathy that we see taking shape you know across the industry. I just hope that you know those lessons aren't lost, and that you know once we get through this, that you know perhaps you know necessity being the mother of invention and all that you know this leads to you know, maybe the next great step change with regard to you know supply chain innovation and, and technology and collaboration. It is heartening to see. I'm in downtown Boston and walking down. It sometimes looks like a scene from, uh, you know, The Walking Dead, right? <laughs> where it's totally empty. Um, but it, it's a heartening thing, like you said, because that means everyone is paying attention to this. Even in stores where you're going to grocery stores, people are naturally separating, you know, like six feet. So it's it's heartening to see that people are actually doing it. Besides the spring breakers, of Except course, them, but right. everyone else seems to be. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Chris. I appreciate you spending the time. Enjoyed talking with you. And for everyone else, stay tuned for the market update with Dr. Enam Ayub.
Welcome to the Over the Road Truckload Market Update for April 23rd, 2020. In today's market update, we will discuss the market changes in the last two weeks. Let's start with dry van. Active rates up by 1%, spot rates down by 4%, replacement rates are positive and are about 2%. This means that the new rates that are entering the market are about 2% above the rates being replaced. On the term control side, active rates dropped half a percent, spot rates down by 3.5%, and replacement rate is positive and is about 3%. Finally, on the intermodal side, active rates up by 1%, spot rates down by 2%, and the replacement rates are negative and are about negative 3%. So, Enam, it's two weeks seems like an eternity, right? So much has happened since we last had an, an update. But I have to say, I'm a little surprised that the replacement rates are positive for temp control and driving. Why do you think that is? I think the, the positive replacement rates are still is a recovery from the, the spike that we saw on that panic buying week. So this may be rep, uh, you know, more of a representation of that. Yeah, that's why that, this is a little uh, surprise. Maybe we'll see that changing as things go go forward because that's a, a lagging statistic but what can you tell us what the total volume change was over the last two weeks has it increased has it decreased what have you seen i think overall uh, we are not seeing a significant drop in the latter part of march what we saw was certain industry sectors uh, reduced volume and some others as we all, all expect for example the food and bev and the retail picked up the significant portion uh, of the volume, and then the industrial uh, sector dropped. And now the retail and the food food and beverage getting back to its normal levels, and uh, the industrial segment is still low. So it's dropped, but not significantly that we can see. Yeah, it's funny. It seems like a, a tale of two cities, right? There are, you have some firms that are going gangbusters. You can think of the companies, CPG Cleaning Supplies, the food retailers, they can barely keep up with the volume still. Even even though it's coming down from that peak, it's still quite high. But then you have other firms. Uh, so anyone supporting the automotive industry has is essentially at zero unless they're helping with any converted product. But even companies within a company, their patterns are, are changing as the mix changes. We've heard a lot of companies that are reducing their SKU counts. So that's changing where they produce things and where they ship things or they're changing what they're making. Uh, you hear about some of the distilleries now making hand sanitizer. That'll certainly shift where products ship to. And also, you know, every firm's own supply chain is very volatile right now as customers close, suppliers close, and even their own facilities need to be closed. So I think this all translates into a lot of chaos in the network. And have you, have you noticed that in the network? Overall, at a network, we have not seen in terms of volume-wise, but in terms of the amount that is going away from the primary position of routing guide mm. and going to a spot market also is an indicator of that actual networks changing instead of uh, you know, the carriers dropping off their primary routing guides. Yeah, it seems like uh, the, there's an unbalance now. And so some lanes that are steady state are much higher, some disappeared. So it's really an unbalanced network for both shippers and carriers. But it seems as the total volume is down slightly, as I talk to shippers, they're finding sufficient capacity. Uh, acceptance rates are closing in on 100% for most shippers. It's the carriers, I think, that are struggling to keep that balance because they can probably cover it with volume, 
but it's now unbalanced. And so if they were being able to handle that at a 10% or 15% empty mile ratio, they might have to dip into more empty miles to satisfy that uh, demand. So I think their margins are going to be crushed a little bit. But I, I think overall, volume is being carried. Capacity is meeting supply, but probably not as efficiently as it normally is. Absolutely. And I think the, the bigger effect is going to be for the, the small to medium-sized carriers. Right. How long can they hold uh, with this level of empty miles? Yeah. Yeah. Because they, they're usually on razor-thin margins and, and not a very strong cash flow statements anyway. So that they are the ones most at risk. Well, that wraps up this episode. The Freightvine podcast is hosted by Inam Ayub and myself and is produced and edited by Stephanie Bond and Abby Haney. To hear previous episodes, please visit our website at chainalytics.com slash Freightvine. You can subscribe to the Freightvine wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, be sure to give us a review. As always, if you have any feedback or questions about what you've heard on the Freightvine or suggestions for what you would like to hear in the future, please send an email to podcast at chainalytics.com. Finally, from all of us at the Freightvine, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new.